0: Hi, welcome to another exciting edition of the Falkirk Center podcast, and we are actually on the road. We're at Grace Community Church here in Los Angeles, California. and I'm joined this afternoon by Dr. John MacArthur, a pastor of Grace Community Church. It's an interesting time that we're in right now in our country. Uh, when you think about the state of the church, um, not only in California, but across the country. Um, describe the times as you see them.
1: You know, just backing up, Ryan, from that for a moment to be reminded of 2 Timothy 4, mm-hmm. where Paul says preach the word in season and out of season. And what he is saying there is exposit the word, preach the word, but tie it to the season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Seasonal, sensitive, expository preaching is what God expects us to do. So. Uh, people would look at me and say half a century of verse by verse, book by book, book by book. But all the way through this half a century, uh, those messages have been keyed to the ebb and flow of seasons going on with the congregation and with the culture around us. So in half a century of doing this, I've never seen a season like this one. Uh, There have been times when I stopped a series to preach one, two, three, maybe four or five messages. I stopped in the middle of Romans 8, um, I don't know how many months ago six months ago and I haven't been able to get beyond preaching to this season because I've never seen anything like it.
0: Why Romans eight in particular?
1: Well um, you know I've gone through the New Testament and uh, completed it preaching it and now it's a question of uh, t- t- trying to respond to the people in the church and what interests them and I thought you know uh, Romans 8 is such an incredible composite chapter basically delineating everything that the spirit of god does in the life of the believer and w- we just felt like this is a time to encourage the people of this particular church with the work of the spirit it's sort of like what the holy spirit does for you whether you like it or not mm. you know this isn't this isn't asking anything of them which a lot of preaching does this is telling them what is already theirs their riches in christ by the presence and work of the holy spirit so we were having a great time and then boom uh, the covid lockdown thing hit and i thought oh i I have to address this for a few weeks Mm -hmm.
0: and that was six months ago you know i think about how romans 8 begins there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ and what is interesting is that today what we see more and more in, in church culture, it seems like, is condemnation. Um, and uh, I didn't think I was going to deal with this issue first, but I, now because you mentioned Romans 8, um, there is a movement, social justice movement that looms large, and uh, it's in the minds of Christians everywhere now because you're seeing uh, Christian leaders uh, often voice the same thing that secularists are saying, cultural Marxists and the like. We're talking about critical race theory, intersectionality, and all of those things. Juxtapose that with what Romans 8 teaches about the identity of a Christian.
1: Yeah, really, really good connection. Critical race theory at its foundation is the idea that you as a human being come into the world with no immutable innate characteristics. You're a blank slate. I I heard it illustrated the other day. in sort of a practical way by saying this is the the elite liberal woman who has a a baby daughter and when the baby daughter reaches the age of one or two, she doesn't want to make any suggestions to that girl about what her gender should be. So she goes and buys a bunch of trucks and puts all the trucks in front of the, the daughter and then a little later she goes and buys dresses and puts the dresses in front of the daughter and she wants her to make her own choice. And she comes back one day and the dresses are on the trucks. So the, the chaos of that kind of stupidity um, comes out of this idea that if we say we're blank slates, there are no immutable characteristics, then what we become isn't our fault not my fault. This is what the white patriarchy did to me. This is what the oppressor class did to me. I just came into the world as this blank slate and look at me now. Uh, all of this systemic stuff that's uh, in the groundwater of the culture has made me what I am. For a Christian to buy into that is absolutely a failure to recognize the most foundational truth in the Bible. God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And the Bible goes on to make absolutely and abundantly clear what characteristics in us are the image of God, and those are immutable to the degree that they reflect his image. And male and female is the whole story of redemptive history unfolding in the Bible makes crystal clear that that's an immutable characteristic, gender identity is is foolishness. So. When you have evangelical Christians, say, buying into the fact that maybe some classes of people, black people, have suffered, and nobody would argue with that, that's fine. We can fix those things. We ought to have loving attitudes toward everybody. But when you buy into a system that is God-denying and atheistic and is evolutionary to such a foolish level that we then become as humans, the only the only animals in all of creation who have no immutable characteristics and we're at the top of the evolutionary chain. So even as an evolutionist, that's a stupid, ridiculous idea. But it serves the notion that I'm not responsible for anything. Um, The first series I did on this issue was from Ezekiel 18. And what Ezekiel 18 basically says is God holds every single individual responsible for what they are, for their sin. Nobody else to blame for that. It's not what your father did. That's that's not it. God doesn't punish you for something your father did. And I went through that chapter in, I don't know, four or five weeks. And I said, the problem with this is if we make everybody into a victim, then nobody's a perpetrator and you've just cut them off from the recognition of their utter depravity and their both unwillingness and inability to alter that and the desperate condition that leads to judgment which need to, be re- which need to be remedied by Christ through the gospel. So the idea that pastors buy into that is evidence of how woefully theologically trained they are and how they think culturally even to the degree where they would deny the most fundamental of all things about mankind and that is we're created the image of God, male and female. Uh, and that goes beyond that for races. God has ordained in Acts 17 the races, set the boundaries for the races, ordained w- what they are, what their characteristics are. Go back to Genesis 10. I did a series on Genesis 10 of how God ordered all the nations. Uh, he, s- he spread the languages out, then he ordered the locations of nations and all of that. So we, we, uh, we are the product of divine creation and um, genetic history Um, and whatever we become um, in God's plan is to be the best we can be of whatever we are male female whatever race we are that was in the design of God so to say to somebody the Bible may not condemn you but I condemn you for something it's not your fault right you know you didn't you came into the world this blank slate somebody somebody turned you into an unconscious racist or somebody turned you into a person who ought to feel guilty about your actually immutable characteristics. Mm-hmm. So you go around confessing the sin of being white, mm-hmm. or which would be like confessing the sin of having blue eyes or confessing the sin of being left-handed or confessing the sin of having two ears. Um, the f- foolishness of this is It is a false kind of confession. It is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. uh, And it removes us from confessing the things we ought to be confessing.
0: Mm. You know, it's amazing. Ezekiel 18 is one I've been referencing quite a bit. And uh, there was actually a young man, uh, a dear friend of mine, I read that passage to him uh, just a couple of days ago. And he said, literally, I've been in church all my life. No one has ever shown me that passage before. I've never actually gone through that text before just and, and just an, it's an amazing thing to think that that's probably not just true of of many Christians that's probably true of many pastors Ben Shapiro said uh, said of you it's great to talk uh, talk Bible with somebody who actually knows what's in it <laughs> and uh, I would just echo that because uh, you've committed your life to exposition to preaching and teaching the word right now we're in Grace Community Church, and there's an expositor's conference that's taking place right now, a uh, pastor's conference. Uh, we have those gathered, uh, men, uh, to, to study God's Word and just be inspired by others. This has been your lifelong ministry, something you've done. How does the, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ not only prepare and equip uh, those to, ta- to, to tackle uh, issues like uh, critical race theory and, and, and the like, but how is it juxtaposed to it? In contrast, what is, how can they not be both identical, identically the same, that you have the gospel and you also affirm uh, critical race theory?
1: It's impossible to hold the gospel, which begins with the fact that you are what God created you to be in terms of those immutable characteristics like gender and race and intellect and physicality and all the immutable things that aren't going to be, t- I tell people all the time who tell their kids, oh, you can do anything you want. No, you can't. You can only do anything that your physical capabilities and mental capacities would allow you to do, mm-hmm. and then you may never know the fullness of that unless you give everything you've got to it. So um, the, the notion somehow that, that we all are um, kind of victimized by who we are and where we are um, I think, steals the heart out of the gospel because now all of a sudden, whatever's wrong with me is not my fault. And it's tough enough to get a sinner to accept responsibility, right? right. I mean, why did they hate Jesus? Jesus said, you hate me because I told you about your sins. Mm-hmm. They didn't hate him because he, he he told wonderful stories, beautiful parables. They hated him when he got to the issue of their sinfulness and and laid down judgment on their lives. So when we want to be like Christ, we don't just tell little flowery stories and make people feel good about them. We confront their sin. That's why they hated Jesus. That's why they took his life. And that's the offense of the gospel. So gospel has to start with the doctrine of depravity. Anybody who knows theology knows everything starts with the fact that the sinners are unwilling and unable. It's Romans 3, no one seeks after God. No one fears God. Uh, this is universal. So I, I, my whole approach with the Ezekiel 18 thing was, this is devastating to gospel preaching when everybody is a victim and nobody is a perpetrator.
0: That's right, that's right. So in terms of methodology, it seems like you have young, um, a younger generation that thinks that Really, this is a kind of a, you almost take a PR approach that uh, we need to have a softer approach. We need to have a way that uh, that uh, signals to a, a younger generation out there that, hey, we're with you. God is for you. I'm for you. Uh, I, I want to show that I, I'm feeling along with you, that I'm, I'm um, mourning with those who mourn, let's say. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, signal to the outside world that I really deeply care and I'm hurt by the things that you're hurt uh, by. Um, you know, what, what breaks what breaks the heart of God break, should break my heart. So you know, how, you know, they take that approach with say something like critical race theory or or intersectionality and they're saying, well wholesale, I'm not buying all that, but I really have to communicate to the outside world that I, I am deeply burdened and uh, with the same burdens uh, that, are, that they feel. Um, is that is that approach correct? Is it incorrect? What's well? What's
1: no, right? it's it's absolutely incorrect because if you loved somebody, you would tell them what was most essential for them to hear, right? That's right. If you care about somebody and the house is on fire, you, you don't turn up their favorite tune, you know, so they can you know enjoy melody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you scream and yell and grab them and yank them out of the house. So the the, the, the idea that making people feel good about themselves by empathizing with them is somehow a pathway to the gospel is, is wrong. Uh, now, building a friendship, fine, I get that. But sooner or later, love is always going to tell people the truth. I mean, how many times have you heard the analogy of a doctor who says, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I, I know you're feeling pain. I certainly feel your pain. Let me help you with your pain. Here, take these pills. Your pain will go away. But doctor, what's wrong with me? Oh, we don't need to talk about that. Just, mm. not want you to feel good. So here, take these pills. I mean, the doctor would lose his his license, and and we would think he was, you know, unqualified. So, uh, to to qualify as a as a faithful gospel witness, you have to go to the heart of the issue. Um, the the kind of foolishness that doesn't want to go there uh, fails to understand deeply the condition of the sinner. Secondly, fails to understand the power of the truth and assumes that if you're nice to the guy and you give him a simple, easy message, you can make it believable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody was ever converted who didn't understand the sinfulness of sin. Nobody was ever converted who didn't understand the essence of the gospel and nobody was converted ever because you were clever. Mm. I was talking to a pastor the other day who said most of my ministry I was uh, bought into Arminian theology and, and we talked about that and he said he came to understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. He said it absolutely revolutionized life. I mean he was a leader in an Ar- Arminian kind of Wesleyan denomination and he discovered the sovereignty of God and it was absolutely, totally transforming. Um, when you fight against it, you fight against it until you see it, and then when you see it, you see it on every page. And it so revolutionized his life, and he began to think back, and he said, I can't even imagine that I was taking responsibility for someone's eternal salvation. And I said to him, if I thought people got saved because of my preaching, or they got saved because of my cleverness, or the angle I took with them, I'd get out of the ministry. I'd let somebody else bear that burden. I, I don't want that. I, I don't believe for one moment that anyone saves except God. You know, and that's what you see in John 3 where uh, you know, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again? And Jesus gives him the most bizarre answer. He doesn't say pray this prayer. Look at the wind. Yeah. yeah pray yeah. this prayer. Say these words. Jesus said to him, that's not that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's his work. He comes and he goes as he wills. So the you know the people I've been criticized and I remember some of these criticisms even within the last four or five years that I don't do effective evangelism because I alienate people I'm kind of hard-edged and harsh and so I need to change my style but that the premise of that is that style is the issue you're back to Charles Finney I mean you want to go all the way back there and District. Yeah, burned-over district where you have people who yeah. think they're Christians and they're all on their way to hell and they, they're fulfilling Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, and He never knew them. Mm-hmm. So, look, I know God only blesses one thing, and that's divine truth. Only divine truth saves. Only divine truth sanctifies. Only divine truth comforts and edifies. Um, only divine truth and the power of the Holy Spirit convicts. I, I'm, I just try to get the truth there mm-hmm. and let the Lord do the work. My, my job is not to cook the meal. My job is to serve it to the table without messing it up. Mm. And that's the role I play. So um, that is the integrity of ministry. It is the confidence in the Word of God. So I think if you add something like critical race theory to that that is clearly unbiblical, Mm. and you can argue the Marxism of it, but um, I don't look at the Marxism of it as much as I look at the divesting of people of responsibility for who they are and what they are and where they've gotten in their life. And secondly, it, it does no service to the person who is in a minority group as to the high purposes of God for their creation in the first place. So we, we grovel with them about the horrors of what they've endured when God has for them a purpose that transcends the worst that could happen to anybody. I mean, Paul says, look, I, I prayed three times for the Lord to take away a thorn in the flesh. And he kept telling me, no, 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 because it humbles you. Whatever humbles you makes you more effective. Uh, so he says, I'll rejoice in my weakness because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When do we say to these people what you've been through, what you struggle with, drives you to the Lord, drives you to trust in Him. um, And in all of that humbling, the Lord is making you more effective. So the message to people shouldn't be, yeah, it's miserable, life's miserable, we're sorry, you've been abused. You know, you are what God created you for, and He created you with the race and gender and whatever characteristics for His glory. Come to Christ and see what you can be in Christ. I think it all goes the wrong direction, I and mean, even if you convince somebody they need to be a Christian, you've convinced them that they're an oppressed person, and how do they crawl out of that rather than convincing them that, that in Christ they're elevated um, as high as, as the Son of God?
0: Mm. You know, it's uh, by by your example earlier of the doctor, it's like two doctors. There's the doctor that's the oncologist that's there to treat the cancer. It's gonna cause a great deal of pain and hurt. The other kind of doctor could be something like a Kevorkian, which is to make sure you feel no pain, but death is, is certain. Right, exactly. And uh, I think there are two pastors that kind of fit that mix, the ones that wanna make sure that congregants feel no pain. The others are going to say, hey, they're going to be a great deal of pain, but the reality is, is that this is about salvation. Yeah, and, and I
1: think, Ryan, we're seeing something right now. Um, I get why they're shutting uh, the cutting-edge rock and roll light show TED Talk church. Mm-hmm. I get why they're shutting it mm-hmm. because it's all designed for the unconverted culture and they can't produce it they can't pull you can't go in your parking lot and have a light show you can't go in your parking lot and have all the media Mm -hmm. you you know it just doesn't fly and the superficiality of all that the level of entertainment is not answering the questions that are on the hearts of the people when we're in a situation like this Mm the um we've been watching here at the church this place is absolutely under siege as people pour into this place every sunday uh, morning, and I, I don't know how many of these, thousands of these people don't even go to this church. They're not looking for a TED Talk. I mean, they're feeling the world as they know it collapsing around them. The, the question that I get more than anything else, do you think there's any hope in the future? Can this change? Can we turn it around? Uh, is this inevitable? Is, is this really the end of everything we've known? Um, uh, they see the metaphoric burning all the time, and Trashing of things. And uh, th- this is not a time for superficial answers, sentimental sermons, little TED Talks on how to be more successful and more happy and, more su- and make more money and, and have people like you better and feel good about Jesus. Um, th- th- that is so marginal now. There are, and you would know this, but there are blogs and websites that have been vacated there's a mass exodus because they're not giving answers. That's right. They're talking about things that nobody cares about, but they're not talking about what everybody cares about. And you're either on point or you just got obsolete.
0: Right, that's exactly right. And by the way, in part two, I do want to address um, some of the critics. Uh, We don't have to do it by name, but I do want to talk a little bit and get into some of the accusations that you've received by making the stand that you have. Uh, Guys, for part two, please check us out uh, and also check us out on our website, FalkirkCenter.com.